All right, again, Matthew chapter 6, we are finishing up this series, What to Say When You Pray Today, uh, by looking at how our prayers play a role in God's growing kingdom here on earth and how we respond to it. And we started this series uh, way back five, six weeks ago in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, uh, calling out this occasion. Luke writes that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John, John taught his disciples to pray. You see, there was something about the way Jesus prayed that got the disciples' attention. And it didn't take long spending time with Jesus before they discovered that prayer was the, the secret sauce, uh, if you would, behind Jesus and everything he did. And because the whole point of being a disciple is to imitate the teacher, all right, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. The same is true for us. Uh, if we're going to follow Jesus in this world, if we're going to call ourselves uh, disciples, uh, our aim ought to be to model our lives after Jesus, all right, to imitate the teacher. And if we're going to follow Jesus in this world then, then we need to learn to pray as Jesus prayed. Prayer is how you talk to God. Uh, it's how you relate to God. And Jesus understood this, so he taught his disciples to pray by giving them a prayer. We call it the, the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where they refer to it as the Our Father. Say it with me. It comes out of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Let's read it out loud together here, beginning at the Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And over the last six weeks, we've been working line by line through this prayer. But we arrive at this last line today. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. If you're looking at a Bible of your own, you might be alarmed at something. And this is likely true of most everyone here. But in most translations of the Bible we read today, this final line isn't there. It's probably not in your Bible, but instead just a tiny footnote maybe. If you have a study Bible that points you to the bottom where there's this footnote that says some manuscripts include, uh, excuse me, don't include, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now why? Why is it? Why is it left out of our Bibles, but yet we're familiar with it? It's how we've been taught to pray a prayer like this. Well, here's what scholars have concluded. And again, this is just based on information and uh, but the, 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 it's this, that these words aren't found in the oldest, most reliable manuscripts of the ancient text. And we don't know for sure, but here's what many speculate. They speculate that as this prayer was adopted by the disciples and eventually embraced as a prayer to be prayed by Christians out loud and in the church, that the final line was added and was added with great intentions. Because it was common for Jews and for churches to add doxologies to the final lines of the prayer, similar prayers to this one, and so maybe that's what happened. Again, we don't know for sure, but that's what's most widely ex uh, accepted. Whatever the case, whenever the words were added, don't be alarmed. These words are true, 
and these words are scriptural. In fact, it's possible that these final words may have been drawn from an ancient prayer that King David prayed 1,000 years before Jesus prayed his famous prayer. And it was a a prayer that David spoke to the entire nation of Israel at a pivotal moment in their history. And in case you don't know much about King David and his legacy, he's often revered as the the, the greatest king in the history of Israel. He He was rich. Uh, He had everything that he could possibly need and more, but David was also discontent. And not in a way, not in discontent in a way that many of us were discontent when the Chick-fil-A was closed for a few months uh, this summer and fall as they were doing the remodeling. I mean, it was more than that. But David was discontent because he wanted to do more for God. And some of you know that feeling. Many of you know that feeling. Uh, with your lives. Like you, you want to make your life count. Uh, you want to do something great for God and make a difference for others with the time you've been given here in this world. That's what David wanted. And, and because his heart was so full of gratitude, uh, his desire, his dying wish was to do something bold for God. He wanted to build a temple for God. And so First Chronicles 29 uh, it's in the Old Testament, records the beginning of this temple realized when David envisioned this magnificent structure, something to be marveled at as people would uh, marvel at the Roman Colosseum many years later. And while the temple would certainly cause people to awe at its size and its design, David didn't want people to look at the temple and see a building. He wanted them to look at the temple and think about God, to look at the temple and realize that's where you go to worship and to be with God. And so it was to be a place, it was going to become a place where people would go to worship him. And so to get the project rolling, David invited the people of Israel to give financially towards this vision. And then he led the way. He modeled the way for them. He gave a gift of gold and silver that some historians estimate was equivalent to roughly $5 billion. And some some suggest $5 billion was likely his entire treasury, everything that he had I mean, that kind of generosity was unheard of, even for a king, but in in an act of humility and devotion. This is David's way of saying he was giving it all to God, that God, it's all from you, and it's all for you. And the interesting thing is that the people followed David's example, and together they gave generously towards the construction of this temple. And as they were bringing their gifts, David offered this prayer. See if it looks familiar. It comes out of 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. David prayed, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. He says, Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Sound familiar? Look familiar? Again, David's heart was so full of gratitude towards God that his dying wish was to give a financial gift that would initiate a project that would represent God's rule and reign and presence here on earth. Now, don't be alarmed. This isn't a money message today. I'm not sneaking one in on us, you know, before Christmas or something, all right? We're not doing that. But it is a heart talk. It is about your heart and mine and our devotion and our focus Again, it has everything to do with where we put our faith, how we're living our lives. Because here's the thing, and, and you know this, if, you, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, if you've surrendered your life to the Lord, well, you know that God isn't living in some far-off place or in some distant temple. He's living in you. 
the very presence of God is in your life. And that means that with the Lord's help, uh, that means with his presence in you, that you and I, that we have the potential of bringing, you know, Christ's presence. We have the potential of bringing Christ's hope and love to anyone, wherever you go and in whatever you do. And that's true for you as you spend time with your spouse, that, that, that even in that, you, you have the potential of bringing the presence of God to your spouse and, and his love and, and his hope. You can do the same for your kids you know, as a follower of Jesus. You can do that for your family. You, you bring the presence of God to, to your neighbors, to your clients, to uh, your school or wh wherever it is that you work. You, you get to help as a follower of Jesus with the very presence of God living in you. You get to help bring God's kingdom to others every day for the rest of your time here on this earth. What a thought. Like what, what a great reminder for us of our role and responsibility as followers of Jesus and as a church, and especially right now, especially with everything that's going on in our world right now. Like we represent God, and we represent him together, and our lives matter because of it. And that's why the final line of this Lord's Prayer is so important, and I think so appropriate too, because when we pray for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power and the glory forever, we're asking with God. It's as if we're pleading with God to complete his work in our lives and to complete his work in this world. And here's something else that's interesting. Even though Jesus may not have prayed these words, these specific words at this particular occasion, I can't imagine a better response to his prayer. Like what a powerful declaration of our acceptance and our willingness to live as he's asked us to live, to be able to say, for yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power of God, and yours is the glory forever, amen. That even as I'm praying, even as I'm thinking about my day, I am committing to you. I am aligning my life with yours. I am giving everything that I have. I'm focusing all of my attention and everything that I will do today for your kingdom and your power and your glory forever, Amen. And so we can pray that. We should pray that. But do we mean it? Will we live it? Will we choose to live that? Like, do, do we really want to live for God's kingdom under his power and for his glory on earth today and tomorrow and for the rest of the days that we have here on this earth? Because if I'm honest, can I be honest for just a moment? When I get grumpy... When I get anxious, uh, when I'm going through a pandemic, especially during an election year, trying to lead with others, lead a church, right? It's real easy for me to start thinking about what I want, what I need, and my kingdom, and my power, and my glory. I think we all face that struggle from time to time, different seasons of life. But even, see this, even my time in prayer each day, Looking to the Lord's Prayer as a model, as an example, as a pattern for the way that I pray. I mean, as we see today, each day is an opportunity to ask myself, am I living for God's kingdom right now? Am I living under his power? Am I living for his glory? Or am I making everything about my little kingdom here on earth? Which is an interesting way to think about it because it's one thing to think about God's kingdom here on earth. But we all have. Whether we realize it or not, we all have our own little kingdoms here on earth too. We all have places where we invest time. We all have places where we come into contact with people, places where we have the potential to influence others. It's where you work. 
Uh, and it's especially true of you if you lead people or maybe you coach a team or you're a part of one or you're a part of a band or something like that. I mean, even these things can represent, you know, your, my little, little kingdoms. Your, your kingdom might be your dorm floor. Uh, your kingdom might be the apartment where you live. Your kingdom can be your family. It can be your neighborhood. We all have a kingdom. We all have these kingdoms that we exist in. And unlike God's kingdom, our, our little earthly kingdoms are going to come to an end. We're all going to change homes. We're all going to change neighborhoods and neighbors and jobs. I mean, every one of us gets you know, a, a specific amount of days here on this earth. But there's another kingdom that's never going to end. It's never going to end. A kingdom that is currently advancing here on earth, whether you or I realize it or not. And so praying yours is the kingdom, all right, means you've made the decision, all right, that we've made the decision that we're going to be intentional, all right, that I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to make every effort to live for someone else. I'm going to make every effort to live for someone greater for the name of Jesus Christ. And so when I bring my kingdom, when I bring my little kingdom of, of being a pastor, being a leader, being a dad, you know, uh, being in a, a neighbor in alignment with God's kingdom and what he wants, like, well, first of all, that's obedience, all right, that's obedience for us, but that's the kind of living that's going to lead to personal satisfaction and peace in my life. It, it's, what we, it's what we mean when we say, you know, we want to be kingdom workers. Here on this earth, we're living for another kingdom. And so are we willing, would you make it your goal to pray each day, yours is the kingdom, and to mean it, and to live it. And not only do we want to live for his kingdom, but by praying the final line, we're also declaring that we want to live under his power. Uh, we want to live under his authority. And this is what it means to depend on God, to rely on God for all of our daily strength that we need. And, and you may not think of yourself as powerful. All right, we may not do that, but we all have power. Uh, we all have power we draw from. We all have power that we uh, exert on others. Um, this happened in our home the other night. Men, dad, especially, I think you might be able to relate to something like this. We, uh, my kids, our family, we were all sitting around the dinner table, and there was a brand new jar of salsa that needed open. And so it was kind of getting passed around, and everybody was getting their shot with no luck. And then it came to me. And dads, you know, there's a dad strength, I think, that comes from heaven uh, that can come on you in particular situations and moments. And so sure enough, I, I twisted that cap off. It's kind of like another crown uh, in our jewel in your crown, unless, of course, you can't open it, then it's a manufacturer's defect for sure, you know. Um, but, but we all have power. We all have power when you think about it. We have power to, to make choices. Uh, we have power to choose between right or wrong. Uh, there's power to forgive or power to withhold forgiveness. There's power to choose your own words and uh, to choose your social media posts. Uh, there's power to go about our daily routines. And that, that strength is coming from somewhere. Uh, it's a strength that comes from somewhere. And, and if there's one thing in my mind that this past year has revealed to us, it's all of the different places that we go looking for strength and power and significance and security and at the same time how unreliable uh, these earthly alternative sources can really be. Like we all know how easy it is to go looking for strength and power and security in things like politics uh, or a particular uh, candidate or political party. Uh, we, we, we feel like we have power, at least this is true of me when we're uh, so in control of our lives, you know, we control the routine, we control the schedule. There's power in that. Uh, 
right? There's some significance in that. There's, there's power in staying healthy right now uh, and saying you're healthy. We, we find power uh, through our, our finances. And, and now think about, think about all of the ways that this false sense of power and control has taken a beating this past year, whoever you are. Uh, like if your candidate lost, um, or we all know what it's like to lose control of our schedules, you know, our routines, jobs have been impacted, school years changed, uh, personal finances have really taken a hit for some, uh, so many are living in fear about COVID and now the vaccine that's coming. Uh, we've all experienced moments of helplessness and, and so many things that have been taken away. There is one source of power that has not been shaken, that will never be taken away from us as followers of Jesus. And that one source and strength, uh, of source of strength and power is, is available to anyone who has trusted and will call upon the name of the Lord. And that power comes from, from God. And so when you pray, yours is the power. We're acknowledging that God has unlimited power. We're acknowledging that he has infinite power, and that power is available to each of us every single day. It's why the Apostle Paul prayed this. He prayed these words for a church like ours, a church in ancient Ephesus. And they come out of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18. This is Paul's prayer again for, for people like you and me. He prayed this, the Apostle Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, all right, that you might see what's up. See what's true, even in the chaos, even in the frustration. He says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He continues, and is incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what you have. That's what we have as followers of Jesus. There, there's no comparison. The, the power that is available to each of us as followers of Jesus, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And so the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is available to each of us today when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Why would we settle for anything less than God's power and his strength for our lives that's available to each of us? He has what you need. Uh, God's power is available for every single one of us, and it's a power that can lead you through this month. It's a power that can lead you through this winter, and there is nothing like his great power. And when we learn to trust and when we learn to submit to that power, that's when we find peace and security and the strength to keep living. And when we lean into and we trust his power, that's when we really see him moving. Like when we, the more we hang on to God's power, the more we lean on his power, it's when we see him moving. We see him moving in our lives. Uh, we see him moving in the people around us. It's when we, when we become dependent on him and really trust his power uh, that... that, that, that that our power, our faith grows even as we pray our prayers, you know. The, the more I'm leaning into his power, the more faith I have in trusting him with the prayers that I'm praying and the potential that we have to see God answer prayers in ways like we never have before. Finally, 
this concluding line is about surrendering our lives to him in such a way that he gets all of the credit and the glory. And that's why we pray. That's why we're invited to pray, yours is the glory. All right, yours is the glory. Glory means greatness. It means splendor. It means significance in the eyes of others. When we pray, yours is the glory, we're giving God credit. We are giving him credit for the good things that he's doing in our lives. We're giving him credit for the good things that he's doing around us in our family and in this world. And this is where, when we pray this, this is where we've got to fight our egos. All right, we've got to ask the Lord to help us overcome our egos because we all want some glory, right? I mean, we all want others to take notice of what we're doing. I mean, that's, why else is Facebook and Instagram so, so popular, right? I mean, we all post our very best. We want others to see what we're up to. Uh, I post my run on Strava because if I'm honest, I want you to see that I ran eight miles, all right, in negative splits, all right? We all want a little credit, all right? We all want a little glory. Watch some football today, you know, and when a receiver catches a 15-yard pass and celebrates like they just won the Super Bowl, all right? I mean, we all want a little credit. We all want the attention. And the Bible says we exist for the praise of his glory that we are here for him, and we are here to give all of the credit to him. And that means he should get the credit for what he's doing in this world and certainly for what he's doing in our lives. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Pete Gregg says this about the final line of the Lord's Prayer. He says, to pray the closing lines of the Lord's Prayer is to give the kingdom, the power, and the glory back to God. It's to give him our little empires, family, ministry, career, whatever it may be, and say, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It's to give him the power bases we've built and say, yours, Lord, is the power. And it's to give him our credibility, our trophies of success, and say, yours, Lord, is the glory forever and right now. Can you see how the final line of the Lord's Prayer is so much more than just some really nice words and a really nice ending? It's a declaration. It's a surrender. And not just once in your life, but I want you to see the importance of praying these words, even praying these words every single morning, even if it means getting up 30 minutes earlier than normal, and how these words and the power of these words can influence your day, uh, how these words can influence your relationships, how praying in these words can influence your attitude, your attitude about school, your attitude about the job that you're going to, your, how it influences your, your financial resources and how you manage those. And again, your thoughts about so many different things. And I'm not saying that you might not have to come back to this prayer again at lunch, all right? Because it may just take everything in you to get through the morning, you know, and to invite the Lord to help you get through the morning. But to pray it again at lunch and maybe pray it again in the evening when you're trying to recover from a tough day. Hey, these last six weeks, I mean, working through the Lord's Prayer together, it's been fun calling out these different things that Jesus prayed and what he was talking about. And I think there's some great information I hope you've gained from all of this. But please don't miss the point. The point is this. The point is that we want to pray. I want you. I want you to want. Let's be people that pray. My, my hope, my prayer for you is that if you're not already, that you will make this effort to get alone with the Lord every day. Uh, for me, I think it works best in the morning. I like to begin my day that way. It influences the rest of my day. Some of you know that. You've experienced that. You do the same. 
but to be people who pray. And if you have been praying and are struggling in it, to be encouraged, to keep going, to keep trusting. And not only for yourself, you know, individually, but what it means for us as a church. Because if we want to be a praying church, we've got to be praying people, all right? And if we're praying people, then we can be a praying church. And wouldn't it be awesome to pray some prayers and to point to some occasions where God answers prayers and be able to say, that doesn't happen apart from prayer. That the prayer, our prayers become the the secret sauce, if you would, behind our lives and the way that we're living, that we want to live, that, that our prayers become kind of the secret sauce behind our church and everything that we're doing and everything that we hope to be. Everything that Jesus did was the result of his regular times alone with the Lord in prayer. Now, one more word that I want to call your attention to uh, before we close. Again, it comes right out of this final line. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. What's the significance of that word? Caesar Augustus, we pointed him out just a moment ago, he ordered this census that created more taxes so that the Roman uh, Empire could grow, grow its kingdom and its influence here on this earth. And that, that meant acquiring more real estate, uh, taking over more countries, but it also led Uh, the Roman Empire did to the construction of some magnificent structures like this one, the Colosseum in Rome. And um, I've been able to see it twice. Um, One of our ministry partners, ICF Church in Albania, is a one-hour flight from Rome. And we typically connect there uh, when we're traveling back and forth. And so uh, on two different occasions now, I've gone there. Maybe some of you have seen it. And I've been able to take uh, two of my boys uh, on two different occasions to check it out. And uh, here's a picture of my son Luke and I back from just a couple of years ago uh, at the Roman Colosseum. And it's impressive on the outside and on the inside. And from this vantage point here, uh, you can see where they've excavated, opened up the floor to reveal uh, the cages where the animals were held, uh, animals that were used in these gladiator fights and Uh, From this place, you can see where the emperor would sit. And that's pretty impressive to think about. It's some of the most powerful men that have ever walked the planet and their seats. There's the VIP boxes and there are the tunnels where prisoners, many Christians, would be marched out and eventually were executed before tens of thousands of people, cheering fans, watching it all. The Colosseum represents so many things, and it's amazing how much of it has still been preserved 2,000 years later. One thing is for sure, it represents one of the greatest physical kingdoms that has ever existed on earth, but came to an end. And there's one more thing to see from this vantage point here in the Colosseum. If you get there, you'll see it at some point, but there's a cross that stands in the Colosseum today stands in the center for everyone to see. It was placed there by Pope John Paul II back in 2000 as a memorial to all the men and women who lost their lives, who were martyred there in the past. And while it serves as a memorial, it represents something else too. That while the kingdom of Rome is something to be remembered from the past, the cross represents the kingdom of God that is here still advancing is powerful and will always be forever thanks to the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ.
you know, the so-called kingdoms that we create in this world are going to come to an end, but there is one kingdom that will never end. And the cross of Jesus and his resurrection is a seal that God wins, that he reigns, and that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live afraid in the present. We don't have to be afraid of what the future holds. You don't have to be afraid when your hope, when your hope and your faith and purpose is found in Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know what God needs to do, wants to do in your life today. I pray that you open up your heart and your mind to him even right now. Um, Maybe it's to encourage you to keep going, keep trusting. Maybe you've given up. Today is just a day of encouraging. Don't give up. Keep trusting the Lord. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. There is no greater decision that you can make on this earth than to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. In fact, one day when you die, the only thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter is whether or not you surrendered your life to Jesus. And his love, his salvation is available to all people. Uh, It's available to you. John says, you know, uh, he records the words of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He's available to you today. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now, wherever you're seated. Just pray and ask God to come into your life, to take over your life today. We'll have some people up front. We'd love to talk or pray with you when we're finished today. If 